To you I belong. Ray, could you just play that melody for just a moment? It's good to know that when we gave our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we gave him everything. And I came to an altar to give my life to the Lord. Somebody was singing a song called I Surrender All. This song reminds me of that every time I hear it. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Called to glorify God in my spirit and in my body, which are the Lord's. It's good that we have those reminders periodically in a world that is completed and repeating self-actualization, self-concern. It's good to know that our life is not our own, that we're part of a different kingdom, a better covenant established upon better promises. And I would like us to just sing that one more time. My life is not my own. Sing that part right here. My life is not my own, to you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. My life is not my own. My life is not my own, to you, to you I belong. I give myself, I give myself, I give myself to you. Sing it one more time, my life. My life is not my own, to you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. I give myself away. I give myself away. Uh huh. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can say it lose one last me. time. I give myself away. Oh, yeah. Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. myself away so you can use that's our prayer father that we would give ourselves away so that you can use us pray that you'll be glorified in that which you have given us to share and father let the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight O lord my strength and my redeemer i ask that you think to my mind speak to my lips Minister through this vessel of clay to your people. Father, let somebody be not only touched, but changed today. Father, I thank you that we'll go forth from this place never to be the same, to change our city, our nation, and our world. Change our homes. But start it in us. And for everything you desire to do and everything you desire to speak, we set our hearts in agreement with it now. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen and amen, amen, in Jesus' name. Well, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. As you're finding 1 Kings chapter 19, find verse 7 this evening. We started in verse 1 this morning, 1 Kings 19, verse 7. 
Let me thank Pastor Chris for your tremendous hospitality, fellowship, and getting to know in a deeper way uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Paul and also Pastor Ray over this weekend. Let me thank all the men who attended the men's meeting yesterday. See my good friend here, Dave Marquardt. So thank you, Dave, for being here. I texted him and let him know I'll be in the area, and he let me know I'll be there on Sunday night. And thank you for being here. Amen. Greetings to Ann. And uh, all of you who have gathered here together on tonight and our online audience tonight, uh, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. This morning, we started a journey on managing your emotions while staying on your assignment. And we looked at this incredible prophet whose name is Elisha. Elisha is mentioned not only in Kings, but also in Chronicles. He's mentioned at the end of the book of Malachi. Uh, John the Baptist is uh, seen as that voice that says that this is Elisha who would come before the great and uh, before the great day of the Lord. Elisha seen with Moses in a vision on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elisha is a prophet of God. Prophets were called to call into accountability the sacred community, the economic community, the governmental community. And the people, as well as other prophets, when they got out of line, prophets, Ezekiel 22 gives us that role as Ezekiel does an assessment on how all of the systems that God set up in Deuteronomy to create this new community had now imploded and were not doing the will of God. Elisha ministers during a time of the divided kingdom, and we gave you the timeline this morning. And during the time of the divided kingdom, both Israel and Judah had gone astray. God then sends this prophet to Israel to prophesy against uh, that which is going on there. Ahab is the king. Uh, Jezebel is his wife. She's controlling everything. Uh, Ahab wears a crown, but Jezebel's turning the neck, okay? She's really in control. And because she's in control, she brings Baal into the community and the people are given over to the worship of gods that they could see. Baal or Balaam or multiple gods were brought in. Uh, Elisha faces those gods down on Mount Carmel. You know the story because when he faces those gods down, he says, y'all need to stop being Divided between two opinions. Choose ye this day who you shall serve. If God be God, serve him. And if Baal be Baal, serve him. And then they have a contest that the God that will answer by fire, he will be God in Israel. The prophets and the priests of Baal go out and cut themselves. They do these uh, rituals all day long. No fire, no answer from their God. Elisha taunts them and says, well, maybe he's gone on vacation. Call him louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Call him louder. And uh, their God does not answer. And then Elisha has some servants pour some water on top of the sacrifice and puts wood on the altar. And God answers by fire, burns up the wood, burns up the water, burns up the sacrifice. And then he rises and declares that God is the God of Israel and slays the prophets of Baal. When Jezebel gets that word, she is irate that Joshua and Ahab tells her has uh, now, Ahab tells her that they have now slain the prophets. And she says, and so let the gods do to me. Let me be slain and more if I don't make him as one of those by this time tomorrow. She puts out a be on the lookout, a bolo on, uh, on Elisha. And she said, be on the lookout for him. And when you do slain, Elisha 
runs into the wilderness, gets under a bush, and is there asking God to kill him. He said, God, just let me die. Just let me die. God sends an angel, a messenger, gives him a cruise of water, a cake baking on the fire. And all of a sudden, he tells him to rise up and eat and then take some rest. We pick up in verse number seven. Because in verse number seven and 19, it says an angel Lord came again the second time, the second time. Everybody say the second time. Sometimes we don't get it when God speaks to us the first time. So God has to come back the second time. He said he came to him the second time and he touched him and he said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. You and I need to understand that the journey that God has us on, we cannot do it by power or by might, but it's got to be by his spirit in this day. It's got to be by the spirit. And whether you're in person or online this uh, this evening, I want you to know that we need to press into the Holy Spirit during this time because the journey is great and we don't have it in our own strength to do it. And he arose and he ate and he drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. When he went in that strength for 40 days, he came thither to a cave and he lodged there and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. And and the Lord said, what doth thou uh, hear, Elisha? The Lord began to ask him, what are you doing here? And sometimes God will ask us a question of location. It gives us a chance to do an assessment. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10. And he says, here is his case study on Israel. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts. He says, for the children of Israel has, number one, forsaken your covenant. Number two, indictment, thrown down your altars. He says, number three, they have slain the prophets with the sword. And I, I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord then says unto him, he says, you go forth and stand at the mountain of the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by with a great and strong wind and rent the mountain. And that is stone started falling off the mountain and he break it into pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elisha heard it, he wrapped his face in a mantle and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What do you do here? What are you doing here? What doth thou hear in verse number 14, the second time or 13? And he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God. He says, and have, he says, and uh, for the Lord God of hosts, he says, because the children of Israel, number one, have forsaken your covenants. They have torn down your altars. They have slain the prophets with the sword and I, 
Even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. He says, and the Lord said unto him, go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou hast come, anoint Hazael to be the king of Syria. And Jehu, Jehu to be the son of Nimshi, thou shalt anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be a prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that has escaped the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. He that escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. I stop here because now God gets into some solutions. And one of the first things that God does is he helps us to pull our lives back together when we're exhausted. In other words, it kind of shakes us and says, okay, get it together. What are you doing here? You've declared to the community that I'm God. You're declared to the country I'm God. You're declared that you are my man. What are you doing here? What are you doing here asking me to kill you? Because a woman has said she's going to take your life. What are you doing here? He has gotten up, he's eaten, and now he's gone from a bush to a cave. And in the cave, the word of the Lord comes to him. He gives an indictment, and this is an indictment that's happening throughout the nations. In the United States, we wrestle against this nice, against this indictment because some people even in our kingdom have substituted nationalism for the kingdom of God, nationalism for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have forsaken the covenant of the Lord. He says, listen, what are you doing here? And he says, man, he said, because I've been jealous for the Lord, but they've forsaken your covenant. Then he said, they've also thrown down your altars. Altars are a place that we come in a prayer line. God touches you, but an altar, you learn how to touch God. An altar is in your home, but an altar also needs to be in the corporate gathering because an altar is a place where we learn how to get a hold of God. And friends, there are going to be some times in the days that are to come. You can't wait for your life group to come. You won't be able to wait for somebody to respond when you call. You have to be able to know how to get a hold of God for yourself. And it does not eliminate the need for community in small groups. What it does do is say that all of us who come to uh, small groups and cell groups and home churches, all of us that do that need to know how to get a hold of God. And in an altar, you learn how to touch God. They've killed the prophets. There's a spirit in our country that doesn't want to hear truth anymore. 
We're being saturated by major media, CNN, 24 hours, Fox News, 24 hours, MSNBC, 24 hours, ABC, CBS, and NBC. But then on top of that, you have social media where people are just posting up anything. You have YouTube and Instagram and other platforms where folks are speaking on behalf of God and trying to silence the prophets, trying to silence the voice of God. And friends, in some countries, not in the United States as of yet, they're killing the prophets. I have friends that are in Northern India that are being persecuted. They're being taken out of their churches, stripped down, hit with boards and reeds. Some of them are assaulted on their way to church. Some of them are assaulted on their way home from church. And some are being dragged out of their churches and their churches are being burned. In the West, it's nationalism. In the rest of the world, it's persecution. And friends, we have torn down the altars because people stone the prophets. When you come and say, thus saith the Lord, folk want to stone the prophets. Elisha then says, I'm the only one left. And friends, one of the things that happens is if the enemy can get you in isolation, you'll start experiencing mental health problems. Well, you start thinking you're the only one going through. You're the only one whose kids act crazy. You're the only one whose spouse is out of sorts. You're the only one going through economic problems. Thank you. You're the only one that's going through a threat of job loss. I have people in our church now who have gotten used to working from home for two years, but now corporations are calling them back and saying, you got to come back in for three days. There's a major rebellion corporately in my city because folks say, I don't want to come back three days. And if you don't have a stay at home option, I'm going to find me another job. Okay. I see some hands being raised up in here. Praise the Lord. And they found out that when they look at the metrics that, that, that productivity has stayed up, profitability has stayed up, but folks have gotten into the habit of staying home. And some have told me, pastor, they're trying to persecute me on my job. I said, no, when you were hired into that job, what did they tell you? They said that you report at work at nine o'clock and you got to stay till five. It's a eight hour day. They said, but you know, during COVID things change. I said, and now your employer is calling you back. And sometimes what we call persecution is just wanting to do things our way. Hallelujah. I brought my own amens tonight. Is that all right? (laughs) Persecution is really when people are coming against the God inside of you and the God because that is upon you. And persecution is taking place. And there is serious persecution in the workplace because there are communities that want us to celebrate them that God doesn't celebrate. There are communities that are trying to pressure us to say it's right when we know that the word of God says it's wrong. And friends, across the board, these conversations are happening because now there's a voice to silence the prophet. God, I'm I'm the only one left and they come to take my life. I found out that I'm not the only one left, but that the enemy can isolate you and make you think that you're the only one goes through and nobody really cares for you. Then all of a sudden we can get exhausted and say, God, if this is the way it is, just take me out. You know what God does? God in verse number 11 of this text, as I get ready to move to our notes, says, come forth. 
to the Mount of God. And he comes forth to the Mount of God. And when he comes out there to the Mount of God, he comes out and God begins to uh, take him to the Mount of God. And the Lord sends a wind that shakes the mountain. He sends an earthquake that causes the earth below his feet to shake. And then he sends a fire. Elisha was used to the supernatural being dynamic. And if you look for the supernatural, or I'm sorry, if you look for the supernatural only in the spectacular, you can miss the Holy Ghost. If you look for the supernatural only in the spectacular, you can miss the Holy Ghost. But then God comes to him in a still small voice. What was going on with Elisha? Right below the scripture I just read, the Hebrew mind considered mankind a living soul, one whole being, a living being, a living soul, a living soul. In Genesis chapter two and verse number seven, it says, and the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. The Hebrew mind sees man as integrated living spirit, soul, body, your living being, your whole, your whole person. But the Greek mind saw man as a spirit, soul, and body. Actually, when you look at Genesis 2 and verse number 7, from a Eastern Greek mind, you can probably see that. That man was formed out of the dust of the ground. That's a body. Uh, God breathed into him the breath of life, and that would be his spirit. And man became a living soul. He had thought, he had will and intellect and emotion. But the Greeks really separated those. They said man is a spirit. That's his divine connection. It's invisible. It's internal. It's spiritual. Man has a soul. It's his will, which is his desires, his intellect, which are his thoughts. It is his emotions, which are his feelings. And then it says, and then he has a physical body to hold his spirit and his soul. First Thessalonians 5, 20, uh, 23, where Paul speaks in. Paul was a Jew who understood the wholeness of God, that man is the living soul, but he was raised in a Roman culture and influenced by Greek culture. He says to the church of Thessalonica, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I want to make you whole, one new unit. And I pray that the whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, sometime you and I, we begin to live a divided life because our feelings are over here and our body is tired and our spirit gets a little weary. And what happens is in those moments, we can want to be out of our exhaustion in those areas. We can want to resign and quit. I want you to understand with those two worldview, the Hebraic worldview and the Greek and the Hellenistic worldview, God wants you to be made whole. He wants your spirit whole. He wants your emotion whole. Now, the Greeks actually had different philosophies on how to handle emotions. In Acts chapter 17, they had some people that were called Stoics. Stoics believed that you should be non-emotional. But it's interesting, African spirituality, there's lots of emotion, lots of passion, lots of movement. And when you bring Western Stoic people together with African sensibilities, you have some real problems. Because sometimes... Western sensibilities, they begin to look at it and they say, it don't take all of that. And African sensibilities say, yes, it does. And so, so Middle Easterns are, are very expressive 
in that. And God once said, I gave you emotions and I want you to feel them. In fact, he says, you should love me with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. And then your neighbor as yourself. And God wants to see us totally expressing to him thanksgiving for everything that he has made us with purpose. I believe in this day because the enemy, his tactic in Daniel 7.25 is to wear out the saints of the most high. We need to refresh our soul and that's our mind and our spirits. Refresh our soul and our minds and our spirit. And I believe that when we refresh our soul and our minds and our spirit, we need to, like Elisha, when we feel that we're down, get up, arise, and have a good meal and refresh and refuel your body first. I have a trilogy that I use, good food, good water, good exercise. And I think that that's important, but God said, turn your trilogy into a quartet. You need to have good food, a good diet. You can't live on junk food all the time. It tastes good to the taste buds, but it will not give your body the fuel that you need to last for a long time. Good food, good water, sports drinks are good. Starbucks, if you can afford it, has its merits. But, but we need water to flush out our system. Friends, we need exercise. Paul said bodily exercise profits a little. You and I ought to get the little that it does profit. So walking, counting your steps, making sure that you stay in motion so that you can stay in motion. And, and look at your neighbor and say, keep it moving. Okay, look at them again. Say it with a little energy. Say, keep it moving. Yeah, because if you don't move it, you're going to lose it, okay? Yeah, so keep it moving. And you can do anything from chair exercises to walking, but good food, good water, good exercise, and good rest. All of those help to refresh the soul and the spirit. And what happens is once we are well rested, then listen, point number one and key number one, you can redirect your attention to the voice of God. See, God was not be in the, would not be in the earthquake. He would not be in the, uh, in, in the wind. He would not be in the fire. But this time God comes in the still small voice. And when God comes in that still small voice, this morning we talked about be still and know that I am God. I have found out in this portion of my life, God speaks to me more. God speaks to me more in the quiet times of my study and in the quiet times of my meditation and my reflection so that I can give out some thunder and lightning over the platform and over the pulpit. But it's in the quiet times that I hear his voice and I get clarity so that the message can be clear and it can be concise and it can be compelling and it can be convicting so that people can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to direct our attention to the voice of the Lord, but it may not be in the shaking of the wind. It may not be in the shaking of the earthquake. It may not be in the fire this time. It may be when he comes with his still, quiet voice. Psalm 84, verse number 10 says, listen, a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. The doorkeepers were the men that stood at the door of the tabernacle. And this guy said, I'd just rather be on the outside of the door, but be in your presence as opposed to dwelling in the inside 
of a tent. And when I'm still, I can hear the voice of God from others, from the corporate worship, redirect your attention to the voice of God. When I redirect my attention to the voice of God, I hear God saying things like, I am God. I hear God saying things like, I love you. I hear God saying things like, I'm good. I hear God saying things, I'm for you. Oh, this was one that was big for me. I hear God saying things like, I'm with you. When you were in trauma, I was there. When you were in pain, I was there. When you experienced death and loss, I was there. Man, when you were in abuse, I was there. When you had your greatest victory, I was there. When you had your greatest defeat, I was there. When you were on your mountaintop experience, I was there. When you were in your lowest valley, I was there. I need to uh, direct my attention to the voice of God to know that he's with me. That he's for me. And that, listen to it, he's not finished with me. See, you got to understand if you're going through a negative situation, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole taught us, God never ends on a negative. And if you're going through a negative situation right now, God is not done. Listen, you can say, okay, it's tough right now, but God's not finished because he's not finished. See, I'm confident of this one thing, says Philippians 1, 6. He that begun a good work in you is going to perform it right up until the day of Christ. He's going to keep on working and constructing and orchestrating and directing until Christ be formed inside of you. Whether you're online or whether you're in person, redirect your attention to the voice of God. And that's prescriptionary. It's one of the ways that we can make it out of the exhaustion. Point number two, return to your assignment. Elisha wants to quit. Elisha wants God to kill him. And God said, I can't kill you because you're not done. And friends, sometimes when you think about, I just want to go to heaven, God said, you can't come to heaven because you ain't done. I've heard some people in our city praying, God, just rapture us out of here. And God said, I'm not rapturing you anywhere because you ain't done. And how can you really want to escape when you got family members that are not saved? How can you want to escape when you have people that are out there that have gender identification confusion? How can you not want to, how can you want to escape We have people that are out there struggling with addictions. How can we want to escape when we have people that the enemy has them in his crosshairs and he wants to take them out, kill them and take them to hell before they know Jesus? No, we can't quit because God's not done. And when a God comes and talks to Elisha and he repeats all of that which God has said to him. Elisha just kind of wraps his head in a cloth and he comes out and he talks to God. I look at verse 13 and it says, and it was so that when Elisha heard this, he wrapped his face in a mantle and he went and he stood at the entrance of the cave. I've been told that when you get arrested, they take what they call mug shots. I've been told, I've been told this, I've been told this, I've been told this. 
And, and, and when they stand you in front for the mugshot, they put this large light in front of your face so that you look all crazy when they take the mugshot. And you know how it is when you get dazzled by light sometime, you want to cover your eyes or close your eyes? That's the way it is when you come before God. Sometimes because God is light and there is no darkness in him at all, it kind of dazzles us at first. It's like trying to look into one of these studio lights. And even though they have softened the light now, it still kind of dazzles you and it kind of blinds you. You want to put your hand over your head, but you know that God's voice is coming from that light. He comes out to the voice, to the entrance of the cave, and God starts speaking to him. And God says, you know, you can't resign because you're not done. And when God goes through this and he begins to give the indictment of the Lord, the first thing the Lord says, go back to your assignment. First of all, you can't quit because you're not done. He says, you're not done because you have not trained anybody to follow you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's coming to you right now. He's coming to you right now. You cannot quit until you have trained somebody to take your place. Because the final part of any leadership journey, whether you're a parent or whether you're a teacher or whether you're a professional or whether you're a minister is succession. Joshua succeeded Moses. That was service succession, service succession, service succession. He was called Moses's minister. He was successor because he served Moses. Aaron's succession model, he said, Moses told Aaron, Aaron, you take your sons, Nadab, Abihu, Ithamar, and Eliezer, and you make them priests after you. So to be a high priest, you had to be the son of a priest. It was sonship succession. The priests had to be qualified. And people say, well, why did Moses uh, select his sons to be there? God said, no, Moses, yours is going to be service succession. Your sons, though, will be numbered with the Levites. They'll still be part of the community. They will serve in the worship team. He said, but they will not be the leader of Israel. Moses' sons served with the Levites and was numbered with them. It's interesting when you look at the Levites, kind of an interesting group. Everybody else in Israel started working at age 30. The Levites started working at age 25. They served all the way up until age 50. And then the younger men took over and they came to the tabernacle then when they wanted to. And they did light lifting. So they put in 25 years of hard labor working with the people of God. And then at 50, they were out. Done. Look at your neighbor and say, we overwork our pastors, okay? Go ahead and tell them that. Okay, y'all ain't saying nothing, okay? <laughs> yeah, the, the, that's what they, they did. They started at so Now, you might say, where are you getting that from? People ask me, they say, I see strange things in the Bible. Actually, I'll give you the reference because this is not our teaching. The Holy Ghost has downloaded that. Y'all understand it? Okay, that's... That's Numbers chapter 8, verse 23 to 26. Numbers 8, 23 to 26. That's the reference. They started working at age 25, and then at age 50, they were done, and they did light lifting and left the heavy lifting 
to the young people. Look at your neighbor again, say, man, we overwork our pastors. Okay, go ahead and tell them. I'm 72 years old. I'm due for a break at some time. And friends, what God was saying to the Levites, I want you to, I want you to serve me during the years of your strength. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was in his, in his 30s when he started serving the Lord and wrapped up his entire assignment in three years. He served the Lord in his strength. Well, here we need to redirect our attention that God is still our strength. And whether we're old or whether we're young, he redirects it. But, but you're not done until we select an assignment. Let me talk about Elisha. Because Elisha would not be service succession. It would not be sonship succession such as with Joshua and with Aaron. It would be a sacred stranger succession. He would tell him, you can't quit because there's a king in Syria. You need to anoint with oil. Go there. He says, you can't quit because there's a son that's going to be a son in your room of the prophets. His name is Elisha. He said, Elisha is in Abel Mehola. And he said, in the next uh, few verses, he's going to tell him now, in Abel Mehola, you're going to find 12 men plowing in the field, and he's the 12th one. See, when God wants to promote you and advance you, it doesn't matter what position you're in now. You could be number 12, and God can move you up to number one. If you're out there so serving, he was out there plowing with 12 other people in this field, the 12th one. And the prophet comes and puts his mantle on him. I like not only the fact that he was serving, but I like where he was. He was in a place called Abel Mehola. Abel Mehola means the metal of the dance. Now, warfare was going on all around him. Baal was in the community. Prophets were on Mount Carmel being slayed. The prophet had run. And here this man is in the valley of Abel Mehola plowing, expecting a harvest. In other words, he had a hope that things are going to get better. God's going to bring in the harvest anyway. I don't care how bad things need to be. As saints of God with faith, we need to believe that a harvest is still coming. A harvest is still coming. But it's called the metal of the dance. Dancing is one of those few activities that you do that though you're still relatively in the same place, your feet are moving and you're in motion. And sometimes, even though you may not, you may be in relatively the same place. Look at your neighbor and say, keep it moving, bucko. Go ahead and tell him. Go ahead and tell him. Keep it moving. You got to keep it moving because dancing is one of the few things that you do where your feet are moving, but you're relatively in the same place. And sometimes your place hasn't changed, but your attitude has changed because your feet are moving. And you know that I'm in motion and I know I'm going somewhere. He was in Abel Mehola, the meadow of the dance, plowing number what? And he was number 12 of 12. And God says, you got to anoint him. You can't quit because you have to return to your assignment and complete your assignment. See, you and I need to know in point number two of point number two. Listen, we got to pass on the anointing, friends. And the reason we need to pass on the anointing is the anointing is the power of God. How do we pass on the anointing through the laying on of hands? Y'all remember Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift. That was put in you with the laying on of hands. My church accuses me of anointing people. And they say, when you anoint people, why do you pour oil all on the head? 
I said, well, he says you anoint our head with oil and our cup overflows. They said, well, not only do you anoint people, but then you do the anointing and then the smear. I said, because not all oil poured on gets smeared in. And sometimes people get oil poured on their head, but it doesn't get rubbed in. The Holy Ghost doesn't go deep underneath their flesh to do a work in them and do a work through them. And friends, we have to pass on the anointing. I want you to remember, listen, how do you manage your emotions and fulfill your assignment? Remember that you're not alone. There's some other folks that are around. I'm surprised when I come and I meet fellows like uh, uh, fellow ministers like Pastor Chris and we sit down, we start talking that we find out that we have some commonalities in what we've been preaching, though we have not been talking. We find out that we have some commonalities in some of the divine emphasis of God. Remember that you're not alone. And if you and I don't get in isolation, but we continue to have communication with other people and contact with other people, we'll find out that we're not the only crazy ones around. We'll find out that we're not the only ones God's talking to. We'll find out that there's confirmation that's going on. And there were 7,000 others in the nation who had not bowed their knee emotionally uh, and gotten emotionally entangled with the compromise that's going on. I'm telling you, like Marianne Brown would tell you as she was here, don't compromise during this hour. We're coming into the last of the last days. We cannot have compromise in our kingdom. Other folks may compromise out there, but in here we need to be steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord because our labor is not in vain in the Lord. I still believe that Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life and no man comes to the Father but by him. I still believe that what John Wesley taught us was true. We need to live right. Holy living is still in that I need to have a compelling desire in my heart to be pleasing to God. I believe that I still need to be sharing my faith with other people. I believe that I still need to be praying with other people. And friends, don't get isolated because there's 7,000 others out there who have not bowed their knee to bail. Listen, finally, there are others out there that are waiting on you. And I think about if you and I quit, who's going to be missed that was waiting on me? The half that I have something in me that they can only receive from me and some people that they can only get from me. There are some people out there that are waiting on you. They may not even know that you're coming, but they know that there's something more. And they know that this is a divine connection. When it happens, I went to Bararuna, Dominican Republic a few years ago, pre-COVID. This young man there started a church. College students were coming to his church. It was growing. And the day last day that we were there, I prophesied to him about the expansion and the growth of the ministry. And they were meeting in a hotel ballroom. And eventually I told him that God's going to give you property. COVID hit had not been back here since 2017 because I had some other ministry assignments globally, but COVID hit two years away from me and another couple of years since COVID. And I get a phone call through my a member of our church, one of our ministers, Dorcas Hernandez, and say, listen, the pastor from Bartaruna, he's in Indianapolis ministering and he wants to drive three hours from Minneapolis to come meet with us. He came and we met last Thursday night. And when we met there, he sat down with us and he said, I want you to know that we need you in Bartaruna because the word that you prophesied, he said, in the model that you gave us, he said, I took notes, translated them in Spanish. And he said, and I preached them in every Spanish community around that area. 
He said, but now the city has come to us and given us a property in the middle of the city to build a new church in the middle of that city. He said, that's unheard of. He said, because your team came and prophesied to it. He said, we believe that you were sent to us as an apostle to speak a word of the Lord for us in time. Somebody's waiting on you. You may not know who they are and where they are, but you have something in you that only you can give them. You can't quit. Because you're not finished. Others are waiting on you. You need to remember that the Lord has not abandoned you. In other words, he's not left us to ourselves. He's not left us to Jezebel. Praise the Lord. He's not left us to a weak back man like Ahab. And he's not left us to Jezebel. Jezebel is not going to win. Neither is Ahab. And I want you to know that no matter what Jezebel's done, she's going to be thrown over the walls and her bones are going to be eaten by the dogs. I want you to know God has not abandoned us. And friends, I've just discovered in life of walking with the Lord that even there are times when I know the Lord has even picked me up and carried me. I know that the place that I went through was so tight. And uh, Pentecostals church used to say, my soul looks back and wonders how I got over Sometime if we had not been, the psalmist said, if it had not been for the Lord that was on my side, where would I be? And friends, there are times we don't know how we made it. And I believe it's in those moments that the Lord energizes us and strengthens us with might by his spirit. And we don't know how we woke up in the morning. We don't know how we got in the shower, packed our lunch, got all of our work together, went to work, was productive and went to work, came back home safe and stayed clothed and in our right mind with all the pressure that was on us. That was the Lord that brought us through that pressure. He has not abandoned us. And whether you're in person or online, I want you to know that he's still with us. You see, there are others who have not uh, that you have not met uh, who are with you and for you. Because these 7,000 that were in Israel would prove themselves to be people that would be warriors for the cause of God. And I need to manage my emotions when I'm saying, God, just take me out. I remember one time when I was Got up one morning and, man, I wasn't feeling good in my body. Called the church and nobody answered the answering machine. And I was hurting. The reason I was hurting was because I helped a brother move. Has anybody ever helped a friend move? That ain't nothing but the devil. I'm just telling you that, okay? You go to help somebody move, they don't have nothing packed up. Stuff's still around. Man, let me tell you. Make you want to shout. That'll make you want to do something else, okay? And uh, I helped this brother move. And man, when, when we move that last mattress into that apartment, I looked up to the Lord and I said, God, I'm hurting. I believe my hair hurt. This was one hurting brother. And I woke up on Sunday morning, go to preach and I could not move. And I remember that there was Ben Gay in the medicine cabinet. And some of y'all may not know about Ben Gay, but it's stuff that you rub on yourself to give you some relief. And I knew Teresa was laying there and I was saying, Teresa, can you please do this? She said, boy, we got to go to church. I ain't got no time to give you no rub down. And the Lord said, You can lay here with Ben Gay if you want to. 
He said, but there are people that are at Rama Christian Center that are waiting for you. And he kind of strengthened me with that word. And I said, okay, Lord, if you help me, I'll go. And I swung my leg over the bed and I didn't even feel like getting out of the bed. Have you ever had your covers grab you and say, come back, come back, come back. That's what was going on in my life. And I told my body, I told, that was my spirit man and my soul man. I said, you can lay here if you want to, but we going to church. And all of a sudden I got up and I went to church and somehow between the 10 minute drive from my driveway to Rama Christian Center, strength got in my body. How I made it through three services at that time, 7.30, 9.30 and 11.30 in the small church building we were in, I don't know. At the end of the day, when I look back, I had to kneel down at a couch and say, God, I need to thank you because I just found out it's not by might Neither is it by his power, but it's by his spirit. And if we are willing and obedient, we will eat the fruit of the land. If we are willing and obedient, and sometimes we don't have all the answers. Sometimes God is stingy with detail. But if we'll be willing and obedient, we'll eat the fruit of the land. You know what happens with Elisha? If you'll read the rest of this book and get into second Kings, he finds Elisha. He trains and mentors Elisha. And in second Kings, that mantle that he's thrown over his shoulder comes down and it rests upon Elisha and the God of Elijah becomes the God of Elisha. I want to remind you, you need to get up and refuel and have a good meal, rest, water, exercise and move out. You need to return to your assignment and don't forget what God assigned you to do. Pass on the anointing. Remember that you're not alone. Remember that there are others that are waiting for you. I came to tell you this year that as the enemy comes to wear out the saints in these last days, remember God has not abandoned you. And finally, there are people out there that you have not met that are also with you and they're also for you. I want you to manage your emotions because in these last days, it'll be easy to quit. But I want you to come to the end of your race and finish your assignment so that God can give you your next assignment. The next assignment may be greater than the former assignment. Ray, why don't you come? Because I'm going to talk just a moment about self-care. How can you do some self-care? Well, first of all, like Elijah, why are you here? Why are you here? Sometimes you need to just do a, a sweeping assessment on where you are. Some of you in your assessment, you'll say, I'm soaring right now. And I've met some young people in this church over the weekend. They're soaring. They're hot in the spirit for God. They love Jesus. They're on fire. They're soaring. They're like eagles mounting up with wings as eagles. Some of them are running right now. And some of you are feeling a sense of acceleration right now. And your assessment is there. Some of you are walking and not fainting. But in your assessment, some of y'all might be just dragging. Dragging yourself to church, dragging yourself to small group, dragging yourself to the place of prayer. Some of you may be actually crawling. And if you're crawling, that means that you've broken down. You don't even have enough strength to get up that you think. Some of you may be in critical care. You're saying I gave to everybody else, but now I need somebody to give to me. 
Some of you may be in intensive care units. You have people that are aware of your condition and they've come around you. I want you to receive the care that they're giving to you right now because you've had a time where you've given everybody else like the Shulamite woman in Song of Solomon chapter one and verse number six as she comes in and she says, listen, I've given to everybody in their vineyards. I've given, my brother sent me into the vineyard and I gave and I've kept their vineyard, but my own vineyard I've not kept. And now you're the one in ICU. And now it's time for you to receive ministry because listen, it's easy to give in ministry, but healthy relationships are giving and receiving. Some of you may be on life support. You know, the only way you're making is because of the prayers of others. And there are always those around the church who will come and find you no matter how quick you try to get out of a door because you are the one that has the prayer for them in this church. And those are ones that are on life support. And I've learned just to slow down my strive because sometimes somebody say, pastor, pastor, I just need you for a moment. Slow down my stride because here's somebody on life support and they need regular attention. Some may assess themselves, I'm on life support. There may be a few in you in here that are code blue. <laughs> okay, y'all, y'all, I'm just doing assessments, okay? <laughs> they have called the triage team. They have called the, the medical team because there's been a breakdown critically in vital systems. And friends, if you're in cold blue, I want you to know that the Lord is with you. I've had members in our church and they told me, they said, they called cold blue on me three times and pastor, here I am. Because they said they came and they fixed what's going on. And I remember that even if you're critical and they call cold blue on you and they think you're done, you're finished, you're out, you can get back up. Some of you may be in a place in your assessment where you're past cold blue Now they're saying, call the chaplain. Somebody thinks you're getting ready to die. You're just not going to make it. I want you to know, even when the chaplain comes, if they know Jesus, there's resurrection life there. I have a lady named Sister Sadie in our church, and they had called the chaplain, and the chaplain called me and said, she's calling for a pastor. We don't think she's going to make it through the night. I came in, she was unconscious, and I laid my hands on her and prayed for her sang some songs in my spirit over her. Three days later, they called me back and said, Sister Sadie wants to speak to you. And she spoke to me and she said, I remember when you came. She said, she said, Pastor, life was being drained out of me. But you came and laid your hands on me and strength started returning to you. And I want you to know that even if you're at that place where they've called the chaplain, There is resurrection life. And I don't know where you are in your assessment, but God can meet you along any way. And I want everyone to stand. And if you feel like you need to come to this altar because you've kind of located yourself and you said, I've been wearied, I've been exhausted. I just need God to pull me to the front of the cave and talk to me in that still small voice. Just come on right now. If you find yourself, you know, 
in that place. Just come on to the front right now and just join me for prayer. And I see young people coming as well as old or people coming. I see men and women coming because it's all right. Because at an altar, this is where we learn to touch God. Anybody else who needs to come? Maybe you're just uh, weary of the rigorous routine that's going on. And if you're there online, just raise your hand and come into agreement with what I'm getting ready to pray. Because in these next few moments, this may be the moment that will change your life. I rebuke every suicidal thought that may come your way that says, just go ahead and just stop and end it all. I want you to know, no, we're not going to do that because God is not finished with you yet. God is not ready for your resignation. But he's here and he's with you and he's for you. And he's here for you. I want to call also a second group and that's a group, that's a group of encourager. And if you know any of these folks that are up here, I want you to know and just come and put your hands on their shoulders because you're going to be their intercessors. You're going to be their team that's going to be praying for them. And anybody who just feels led, you say, I know that one. Let me go just put my hands on their shoulder. Just come on and I see men and women moving because in this season in the Lord, it's not just one man of God that comes and just lays hands on everybody, but just lay your hands on somebody's shoulders right there and make sure everybody has somebody touching them right now. In the name of Jesus. This is what we call body ministry in Columbus, Ohio. Because sometimes the body needs a minister to the body. Do you hear me? Those that are in the crowd, don't be uh, inactive. And those that are at home, if you have somebody with a hand raised, I want you to know, find and go to them and put your hands on them. And I'm going to lead in prayer. And those that are standing behind, now you are not at work. You are not at school. Pray for them. Pray loud enough for them to hear you. Pray, pray right now. Those that have your hands laid on somebody. Those that are in the sanctuary, pray. And I'm going to also pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I just come before you today, Father. And I thank you and I believe you today. Father, that you're restoring and renewing strength. Father, I thank you and I praise you today that these that have waited on you shall renew their strength. I thank you you're taking them for where they are. Father, there's pressure in school. There's pressure at work. There's pressure in the marketplace. There's pressure in ministry. But in the name of Jesus, we will not succumb to the pressure. In the name of Jesus today. Father, I pray that there will be a release of your bounty and of your grace and of your strength to them in the name of Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit, come and strengthen them with might by your spirit on the inner man. In the name of Jesus. And Father, to that one that's online that said, I just can't make it. I don't know. It's not working for me. It's worked for everybody else. Father, I rebuke that thought that says it won't work for them. Father, because you have people that have come from the north, south, east, and west. And it's worked for all of them. It can work for these in the name of Jesus. So, Father, I come now and I lay my hands on these in agreement with those from this church and from this body. And in the name of Jesus, I just thank you today, Father, for what you're doing right now. In the name of Jesus, be renewed, be refreshed. In the name of Jesus, be renewed, be refreshed. In the name of Jesus, be renewed and refreshed. Take his yoke upon you. Learn of him. He is meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest unto your souls. 
Hey man, God's not done and he's not finished. He never ends on a negative. He always ends on a positive. And in the name of Jesus, I lay my hands on you. Renew your strength in Jesus' name. Renew your fire in Jesus' name. Burn and not be consumed in the name of Jesus today. And pick up that body every now and then and say, come on, we're going anyway. Pick up that body every now and then and say, come on, we're going to do it every now and then in the name of Jesus. And now, Father, I pray for this entire church that their next season will be their best season. Pray for all of those that are weary. Pray for those that are like Elisha, just got wore out by the circumstances around him. Father, I pray for covenant renewal, altar renewal. And Father, I thank you that we want to hear the prophets. Let us hear your voice. Father, if it's not in the wind or in the earthquake or in the fire, let us hear that still small voice in Jesus' name. To your name be glory. To your name be honor and to your name be praised. For those standing in this congregation, I want to give you a prayer for yourself. Ask the Lord, what is my next? Because God has a next place for you. That next assignment. What's my next? And Father, I pray that you open up the door of revelation to those that are online and those that are in this sanctuary. And you'll reveal to them their next assignment. Father, let them lay hands on somebody. Let them impart the anointing. And then let them know the next place in this church that they need to serve. And Father, you know, we know what's been done. We know our history. By revelation, show them their horizon in Jesus' name. That's their next in Jesus' name. Now come and seal this word that we've ministered. And Father, with your mouth is spoken, let your hand now perform. In Jesus' name. And everyone say it. Before you move from the space where you are, pray this prayer after me. It's a confirmation that Jesus is Lord of your life. And if one of you is watching online or here in person and you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, he's the great fixer in your life. Pray this after me, God in heaven. Today I come to you. I believe with all my heart. Jesus is Lord. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. By his stripes, I am healed. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Rule my life. Rule my spirit, my soul, my body, my family life, my social life my economic life. I renounce the past. Everything Satan has done in my life, I'm finished with it. Now, Jesus, you are my Lord, my Savior, my baptizer with the Holy Spirit, my closest friend from this moment forward. I will live for you. Live big in me, Jesus. My life will never be the same. Amen. Give the Lord a praise in this place. Amen. Let me encourage you to keep on moving forward in Jesus name. 
Pastor Chris, why don't you come? And for those who prayed that with us, give them the final instructions. Amen in Jesus' name. Amen in Jesus' name. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Apostle Scales. Thank you very much. One of the best promises that you even hit on that always rests in my soul daily is God, our Father, promised us that he would never, (laughs) never is a strong word, but he can say it, never leave us nor forsake us. We can rest in that. Our Abba Father, amazing. Wow. Mm. The Holy Spirit knew where each and every one of us were tonight and ministered to the level we needed to be. I think that resonated in me from what I tonight is don't quit. <laughs> Keep moving, as Apostle said. Keep moving. Keep moving. Thank you. Well, this has been a wonderful time. Can we give him a round of applause? I know we're going to give God a round of applause working in him. But thank you, Apostle, for coming out. The men's meeting this morning and even today. And I think as I alluded to this morning again, we heard through Apostle Scales, but uh, the great physician was talking to us. And he's a specialist in every area. So isn't that neat? So we're so encouraged by that. We want to uh, quickly just uh, give an opportunity to to sow into Apostle Scale and his ministries. And uh, if you are feeling led to do that, and we are a generous, generous, generous church, so let's keep that going. But anything the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, we we want you to give, and everything will go straight to him and his ministry. Uh, If you want to write a check, you can use an envelope. I know there's ushers in the aisles. And uh, just put guest speaker on there. If you're going to do any digital giving through text or our app, there's a drop-down for guest speaker. And uh, you can give that way as well, too. If you prayed the prayer for the first time as Apostle led you in, and the prayer of salvation and receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time, please come up and see me or Pastor uh, Mike at the end of the service. We want to just talk to you for a minute and give you some material that we think that will help you on this journey that you have certainly begun and it's a beginning to great things in front of you so we just want to pray over our offering heavenly father if everybody can come into agreement heavenly father thank you so much for this amazing opportunity to come together tonight and hear your word and hear the holy spirit speaking to us and not leaving us where we are father god and we just pray as we Invest and sow into Apostle Scale and his ministry, and his, that his family is blessed, that his mission continues to get clearer and clearer, and his steps ahead, and his path is guided by only you, Father God, and that his influence continues to grow greater and greater. Give him wisdom and in peace of everything he's doing, and health in his family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Well, thank you for coming out tonight. Take what you got with you. Don't leave it in the room. Monday's a new day to begin what we've heard over these last few days. And be blessed. Thank you very much, Pastor Ray. Thank you.